0: Welcome to Copyright Clearance in His podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, September 7th, 2018. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, publisher's weekly senior writer, who joins me today from New York City. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. On Tuesday, Andrew, you had a bit of a scoop reporting first that Penguin Random House will be the next of the big five publishers to change terms for its library ebook lending program. In July, Macmillan told librarians that they would now embargo new titles from TOR, their science fiction division, as part of a test. Macmillan cited evidence of library ebook lending having a direct and adverse impact on retail ebook sales. So what's going on at Penguin Random House?
1: that 's right, and it 's pretty big news in the library world and, and big news I think in the book world anytime the world 's largest english language trade publisher, which was Penguin Random House, makes a change like this but let 's start with the nuts and bolts the change so all of the big five publishers up until now uh, of all of them, Penguin Random House was the only one to license ebooks to libraries on a perpetual access model. all of the others metered their ebooks, and what does that mean That means that all the ebooks from all the other publishers expired after one or two years or a certain number of lends uh with random house you bought the book and you had the book forever the ebook forever i should say now libraries were generally pleased with perpetual access as you might expect being libraries except for the fact that they had to pay for it. Library eBooks are, to put it mildly, expensive, like easily three to four times the cost of a consumer eBook, and double or triple sometimes the cost of the print book for a library. So what ends up happening is that libraries spend vast sums to meet consumer demand for best when they're just out, and then they wind up with 100 copies of perpetual access eBooks that live in the ether that nobody wants. You know, and what good is a hundred digital copies of Who Move My Cheese, right? Once that's done circulating, uh, having these licenses for books that nobody wants has no value. So after listening to librarian feedback over the last couple of years, Penguin Random House is now changed to a metered model. Uh, they're now going to lower the price on their library ebooks and, uh, they now expire after two years as opposed to having Uh, Access forever. Now, the Penguin Random House change was not unexpected. I should point out, you know, as we discussed in July, after Macmillan announced its embargo on new titles from Tor, I went to all the big five and asked them if changes like that were going to be coming, if they were considering other changes, and none of them said that they were not going to change things. But Penguin Random House, in their response to me, you'll recall, suggested that a change was coming, but that that change would offer more flexibility to libraries. And indeed, as of October 1, that change
0: is here. And librarians have greeted the change just exactly how?
1: Well, mixed, to put it politely. And and let's start with the good part of that first. First off, the good news is that unlike Macmillan, uh, Penguin Random House is actually engaged with librarians on their ebook lending. They've engaged with librarians on this change. Uh, they solicited feedback. They listened to that feedback, and in their statement, the letter that they sent to their library customers, they committed to continuing to listening to librarian concerns and and, and working things out. Macmillan, on the other hand pulled their change, they instituted their embargo with no warning or discussion at all, and to my knowledge, uh, have still not engaged librarians on this embargo in any way. And that's a change, that embargo that they put in place, frankly, makes no sense at all. Uh, But that's for another podcast, I suppose. The change does relieve, for Penguin Random House, it does relieve libraries of the burden of paying extra high prices to keep digital copies that have no other value in the ether once they've stopped circulating. So that's the positive part of this.
0: All right, upside, then let's look at the downside. I'm guessing that would be the price.
1: Absolutely. That's that's the biggest part of it is, is price indeed. At present, Penguin Random House top titles, those are the newest bestsellers. They're capped at $65 for perpetual access to an ebook, book uh, and that's for an adult title. The prices are lower for children's titles, for example. Uh, the new top price under the change is going to be $55. So they're lopping 10 bucks off the price. Now, lower prices are a good thing but only a $10 drop is just not enough, librarians say, especially if they have the burden now of having to you know, relicense all those John Grisham titles. Also, librarians don't like the time limit. If books are going to be metered, uh, eBooks, I should say, are going to be metered, then at least meter them in terms of circulation, 26 Lens, like HarperCollins does, or 52 Lens. What librarians really wanted from Penguin Random House, however, was a choice. Uh, they wanted to pick between Perpetual Access or the metered model at a lower price. Instead, they got... One of the two choices. Librarians, for example, they want to be able to own maybe one or two perpetual access copies of an ebook to keep in their collection. And they'd pay a higher price for that. Whatever the price was, they'd pay just to make sure that they have that in their catalog. And then they'd like to be able to add circulations to meet these periods of high demand without having to buy more perpetual access copies. But now, Penguin Random House has announced that they're going to sell perpetual access copies only to academic libraries. And that has public libraries scratching their heads. You know, why not sell to us, too? If you're going to let an academic library have one, why not us as well? So we'll see what happens from here on out. The good news is that Penguin Randross has said that they are willing to listen to libraries, so we're going to see if that's the case. Whatever happens, I think it's fair to say that after years of relative quiet on the library ebook front, the market's about to heat up again. And I'll go even further and I'll say that the market's going to heat up again on the issue of price, because price for library ebooks really needs to be addressed. So much of what publishers do with library ebook pricing is really about defending their other markets and their other sales. But I, I've listened to the arguments on both sides, and I have to say I'm of the opinion that that's a short sighted and sort of self defeating strategy for publishers. And if anything comes out of these changes, I hope it's to kick up a discussion about why digital readers and libraries are being treated differently than print readers.
0: When Copyright Clearance Centers Beyond the Book returns, Andrew Albanese takes turns reading from two very different Barnes & Noble storylines, the pot boiler set in the corner office and the accounting ledger from the sales office. I'm Christopher Keneally with Copyright Clearance Centers Beyond the Book.
1: Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly
0: from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world.
1: I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly.
0: And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly.
1: Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com PWRadio.
0: I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book. It's Friday, September 7th, 2018, and Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly joins me as he does each week with news and insights on the world of publishing and reading. So last week, Andrew, you and I spoke about Barnes & Noble and the very messy litigation that now is engulfing the company after the firing of Dimos Parneros, the bookseller's fourth CEO in five years. This week, there's more bad ink for Barnes & Noble, but at least it's the kind we're used to here on the program, the red ink of poor quarterly results. Tell us about that.
1: That's right. I guess you could put this in the same old same old department, but Barnes & Noble this week reported that its sales fell 6.9% in the quarter that ended on July 28th, and that's down from the same period last year in 2017. And the operating loss in the corner was up a million bucks. It was up to 16.2 million from 15.2 million. uh, And the decline in earnings was generally due to, no surprise here, lower sales, uh, and was actually partially offset by about 22 million in expense reductions. But what's notable about the call was that Len Riggio did take a few minutes during the conference call with analysts to sort of challenge the allegations made in the Demos Parneros lawsuit, which we talked about last week. He called it a smokescreen to extort money from the company, and he reiterated to analysts that Parneros was fired because of sexual harassment issues and bullying. He said the board of directors, as well as himself personally, have great faith in the management team, which includes the CFO, Alan Lindstrom, who, of course, as we talked about last week, came under pretty much under attack in the Parneros lawsuit.
0: Indeed, and interesting, too, that Riggio and his lawyers are doubling down or even tripling down on allegations that Parneros was the bad actor here as you say we devoted our show last week to enumerating the many allegations on both sides and i want to know what you've heard about this from publishers how is the suit being perceived by their customers or even their shareholders yeah
1: you know so the customers i don't think are really thinking about what's going on at the top very much at all and i think the quarterly numbers reflect that customers have concerns with barnes and noble uh, that have nothing to do with management right they're they're just not doing their book shopping there like they did the year before or the year before that. And I think that's the biggest concern there. What I find interesting, however, is Riggio, again, taking time to go after Parneros when he could easily say something generic like, can't comment, it's an ongoing litigation, but the suit is without merit. And again, I can't help but wonder why. I can't, I really can't understand why he's going after Demos Paranero so hard now on these issues when he tried to sweep the whole thing under the rug at the time of the firing. That's just mystifying to me. I think that's going to be an issue, and indeed, we learned this week that a class action law firm is out there trying to drum up interest in a suit to investigate the Barnes & Noble board on behalf of shareholders over the termination. Now, that's not surprising, and these kinds of shareholder suits are floated quite often in business, but it's still going to be interesting to see if this gets any traction from Barnes & Noble shareholders. Now, one of the most interesting reactions I got last week was an email from a listener who is a publisher and also a Barnes & Noble stockholder. And the question of the stock price is very, very interesting. Now, it's hard to glean anything about how investors are feeling about the suit from the stock price at the moment. I mean, Barnes & Noble stock is down, but that could be for any number of reasons, right? And not the least of which the latest quarterly results. But this is something that we should be keeping an eye on, the value of the Barnes & Noble stock. Now, initially, I thought that the company might actually see a boost in its stock price because what we learned in the lawsuit was that it was for sale. And if the company's about to be acquired, well, who knows what the price is going to be. And you might see some people speculating that now's a good time to pick up Barnes & Noble stock. And the stock price is low. So if there was a sale in the future and the company, as the suit suggested, is in play, not a bad time to buy the stock. But the stock price is dropping again this week. And as of today, the price was well under $5 and had been under 4 dollars 5 So that's pretty rocky territory right now for the Barnes & Noble stock. And I have to say, the quarterly numbers are not likely to help, nor is the chaos in the company's leadership at the moment. So. Rather than throwing allegations at Parneros, in my opinion, I think Riggio needs to step up and soothe investors. It's certainly looking at the stock. It can't hurt. Uh, And what we heard on the investor call today, in fact, was the opposite. That only made me think that a, a bigger, messier court battle is still on the cards.
0: Traders may be bearish about being in stock, but here at Beyond the Book, we are bullish on Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly, who joins the show every Friday. Thanks so much for speaking with me.
1: My pleasure, as always.
0: Coming next on Beyond the Book, around the globe, scholarly journal publishing faces exhausting technological and cultural changes. Perhaps the last great change will remake publishing as a truly international endeavor. In Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh, Dr. Hasib Erfanula has a prominent role in promoting local research, as well as developing a roadmap for improving Bangladeshi journal publishing.
1: Bangladesh, as you understand, uh, is a very small country and a highly populous country in South uh, Asia. That are known uh, for its uh, natural disasters and uh, other climatic impacts. But we do research and we do publish uh, our journals. And uh, you will be amazed to know that there are lots of journals being published from Bangladesh with support from the government.
0: Raising up journal publishing standards, next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, builders of unique solutions that connect content and rights in contextually relevant ways through software and professional services. CCC helps people navigate vast amounts of data to discover actionable insights, enabling people to innovate and make informed decisions. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening and join us again soon on Beyond the Book.